Amen. Well, today we have one of those days that I always look forward to. We haven't had them for the last two years, but we get to have child dedication today. And I'm sort of glad that we get to have child dedication because it seemed like I didn't, wasn't getting to see these children as they were growing up. You know, I was thinking of um, uh, Leona the other day, and I thought, like, I don't know if I saw her since she was still in a carriage, and now she's walking around and stuff, and it's like, yeah, okay, and then, you know, John and Jess there with Joy, and she, or Joy, Olive, and she's like running around all over, and you're going, these kids have all grown up so fast, but it's good that we get to do these things to catch up and say, hey, we get to have a time now where we're going to be dedicating these children to the Lord. I'm happy to see that family and friends have come to help celebrate this time of dedication with the parents. You know, it is always an exciting time, and I believe it is something that we should be thankful for. A church that has no children is a dying church. If you don't have another generation coming along, then you are wasting your time. But that's why I've always loved to see when we release Kids Church, how many children get up to leave, how many children head downstairs, and how many people are willing to help minister to those children while I'm up here. You know, it's a time right now, as we've said, we're coming out of the lockdowns, we're coming out of all those different things, and it's good to see the people, I know just last week we got contacted, somebody else wanted to get involved in children's church and help, and I thought, well, isn't that exciting? It's exciting to see these things, and I believe there's going to be a lot more yet, as we all shake off the dust and shake off the two years of lethargy, we're going to come to a point where we're going to say, hey, there's still stuff I can do, and I'm going to get involved in it, and that's the good part. So we have child dedication today. Well, dedication is not baptism. You know, a lot of times people are confused the two and they think, well, they're little, they're babies, they're, there must be like a baby baptism. It's not a baby baptism because I believe that every person needs to make up their own decision, needs to make up their own mind whether they're going to follow God or not. They need to make a choice where they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And I don't believe they're ready to do that as a child. They need to be of a point where they know what they are doing. So it's not a baptism. These children will make their own decision as they comprehend the plan of salvation. And the decision we keep praying will be for every one of them to say, Yes, Lord, we want to follow you. Now, the most referenced biblical example of child dedication, of course, is when Hannah is bringing Samuel to Eli the priest. We know the story. Hannah was busy praying. Her, she had no children. She wanted a child, so she was, went to the temple, and she began to pray, and the priest saw her there, and, you know, I find this sort of interesting because it's a little point that we often miss, but as she was busy praying, the priest came and accused her of being drunk. I would say that was fervent prayer. <laughs> the reason he accused her of being drunk was because her lips were moving and there was no sound coming out. If you ever thought, you know, you could just pray quietly to yourself, don't be drunk when you're doing it. <laughs> so, of course, Hannah responds to the priest. She says, I'm not drunk, honestly. I'm a maiden. I'm a, a servant of the Lord. I'm praying for a child. I'm old and I have no children. I'm barren. I want to have a child. And the priest says, okay. And she left. And we know that a year later she came and she had her child and everybody was happy. When her child was about 12 years old, she ended up bringing her child to the temple, and she gave him to the priest, to Eli, and she says, okay, Eli, I want you to take this child now. I have given him to the Lord. You train him now. 
You teach him the word of the Lord. You teach him how to hear the voice of the Lord. Now, obviously, Eli was much better at teaching than doing. There's an old saying that says there's those that teach and those that do. How do I know that? Because his own children had not been raised in the ways of the Lord. His, in fact, the Bible calls his sons the sons of Belial. They were doing all sorts of things that were against the temple, but yet Samuel, who was raised by the same man, he ended up being wakened when he heard the voice of the Lord speaking to him, and he ran to Eli, and he says, what do you want? Nothing. What are you doing here? Well, you called me. He says, no, I didn't. Go back to sleep. And finally, the priest catches on and says, oh, if this guy keeps hearing his name being called, maybe that's God calling him. So then he says to him, he says, well, the next time this happens, then uh, just say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And, and of course, we know the story how Samuel ended up being called to be the next prophet. But dedication is not baptism, but dedication is bringing these children before God and saying that we want to raise these children to know God's word. Now, of course, the part that I like, we have changed the program a little bit. You no longer get to leave them at my house until they're to their teenage years. <laughs> you get to deal with them <laughs> through their teenage years. You made them, you raise them. <laughs> so during the dedication service this morning, these parents are making a similar commitment though. They're saying, we are going to raise these children in the ways of the Lord, and we want to come before the church, and we want to make this a public commitment, a public vow, if you would. So we call it child dedication, but in reality, the parents are making a commitment to raise their children in the ways of the Lord, so that those children will grow up knowing God, knowing His ways, and becoming familiar with His character, and hopefully His voice. Now, I believe this is one of the greatest things a child could ever experience in their life, parents that are committing to raise them in God's ways. I believe that's one of the best things a child can have to get a good start in life. It might well be the single greatest determining factor on whether God or that child decides to follow Jesus for the rest of his life or not. I'm sure we're all aware of the fact that God doesn't have grandchildren, Every single one of us has to make that decision to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made if we are going to be numbered in the family of God. I see a godly heritage can help a child succeed in every area of life. And this is one of the things that I think has happened. Children are no longer being raised with a godly heritage. So while we can see that each one of us has to make a decision to follow Jesus ourselves, we may wonder then how this fits in with Acts chapter 16, 30 to 31. The story is that Paul and Silas have been thrown into prison. At midnight they are busy singing praises unto God. All the other prisoners are hearing them. And as they're busy singing praises, there's an earthquake that comes and it shakes the foundations of the prisons. Their chains fall off, the doors swing open. The jailer wakes up and he comes and he sees that all of the doors are open, the chains are all off. Convinced that the prisoners have all escaped, he's ready to kill himself when Paul says, don't do it. Well, I'll read it. It makes more sense. And he brought them out and he said, well, he says, don't do it. So he says, okay, don't. So he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they thought it was hard to get new converts. 
All you got to do is sit in prison for a while, have an earthquake come along, open the doors and make the chains fall off, and everybody's ready to listen. So what must I do to be saved? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Well, that causes a little bit of problem. How could Paul add the term, and thy house, if the, if the jailer was going to make have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and his household should all have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, so how could this fit? And that used to bother me, and I started wondering about it. I thought, how do these two fit together? Because how can I say the house will be saved just because the jailer got saved? Well, I believe there's a way. When we look at the Greek word that has been translated as saved, we can get a better understanding of this verse. The Greek word here is sodazo. It includes meanings like deliver or protect, literally or figuratively. It includes heal, preserve, save, self, do well, to make whole. So the meaning includes not just the eternal reward. It's not just that once we get to heaven, we get, or once we die, we get to go to heaven and live with Jesus. It includes right now upon this earth. And if there is a godly headship in a home, those children are going to be protected from a lot of the things that they would otherwise have been exposed to. See, when there's a godly headship in the home and God's laws are being followed and being brought down or God's concepts are being taught in the home, those children are going to end up learning things that are going to help them for the rest of their lives. So when parents are willing to implement and train scriptural concepts into their children's lives, the children get protected from many different things. And as I was thinking about this, I started to think about some of the things that children are protected from when they have a godly heritage to draw on. They can be preserved. They can be made whole by being taught what is right or wrong according to the scriptures. So to, all, to understand what I'm speaking about, all we have to do is look back a few years. Many of us in this room are old enough to remember what it used to be like. And please don't think I'm getting to that age where I'm looking back all the time. <laughs> but we remember what it used to be like. Some of us remember what it was like to have parents. What it was like to be raised under a godly influence. We look back to the time where most homes in this nation implemented scriptural concepts even if they were not active church members. But there were scriptural concepts that were being trained into another generation. At that time, children were taught that they were loved and they were valuable. How were they taught that? Many mothers stayed at home to raise their children rather than go out and work. In fact, the more common thing was that mom was at home cooking, <laughs> baking, raising her children. Now, I don't say I have to, I'm not saying everybody's supposed to run back there. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that was the time at that point. Until the children were old enough to fend for themselves, mom was home. Well, what kind of commitment does that take for a person to say, I'm staying home to raise my children. My children are more valuable to me than any money I could make. Now, I recognize times have changed and people say we can no longer afford it, and that's fine. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm saying this is what happened at that time. The parents or the children ended up knowing that they were loved, that they were valuable. Often the parents were able to deny themselves so that children were able to have or experience new things. 
I know many mothers at that point, they may not get the new dress, but their children would have the new dress for Sunday. Their children would have their Easter outfit. And if they could, they would also, but the children came first at those times. Both the mother and the father would reinforce God's principles of honor thy mother and thy father. As a child, you didn't have the opportunity to go to your father and say, you know, mom just isn't behaving herself well. <laughs> or vice versa. Parents would honor the other member that they were married to. If the children started trying to cause trouble between them, it was very quickly nipped in the bud. Very quickly. You're not going to talk about your parent that way, whether it be your mother or your father. You don't get the opportunity to run them down, and you would not hear mother or father running the other partner down. Even if the father wasn't all that the father could be, mother would still explain to this child that this is your father, and you will honor him. And vice versa. Children wouldn't dream of speaking against either of their parents. They wouldn't use terms like the old man. <laughs> My father. It was spoken with honor. It was spoken with respect. And as the parents lifted each other up, if a child would dare speak against them, they would be reprimanded. Scripture that was being reinforced by both parents. Now, when children learn that they are loved and valuable, along with the respect at home, that starts carrying over to life outside the home. Because children will do what they see. Most situations in life can be negotiated more easily if there's a manner of respect or a level of respect that's being used. Any one of us, somebody comes up to, hey, do this. I know myself, something rises up inside me. <laughs> down, down. <laughs> Why? You can treat me with respect. See, we got raised in a generation where the words please meant something. Thank you was used. But again, this is a scriptural concept to respect. You know, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. We didn't go out and mistreat the neighbors because something had been instilled in us that we were to respect them. Now, some of you may remember, if you're as old as I, we had two different pronouns that we used growing up. <laughs> if we were talking to our friends, the word was do. If you were talking to someone that was like 15 to 20 or 70 years older than you, the word was ye. And you best not mix those two up. <laughs> Why? It was respect. And children were raised to respect their elders. They were raised to respect the people around them. You know, the golden rule, as we all know from the scripture, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this was one of the things that was reinforced in the homes. If you don't want it done to you, then don't go out there and do it to others. Be respectful. Be proper. When you have respect and you start negotiating different situations, you're going to find that the respect will go you an awful long, much further than just the words will. Respect includes shutting up and listening when they're speaking. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> 
Now, having a, self, a healthy self-esteem means that you are not crushed the moment someone disagrees with you. You realize all of a sudden not everybody will agree with you, and that's okay. You can have different opinions and still be friends. So it becomes salvation from all sorts of unnecessary trouble that you raise yourself. Why? Because you've been taught scriptural principles. Now, respect is modeled by the parents. They dealt with their their problems privately. Parents didn't air their dirty laundry in front of their children. It was dealt with privately. It was dealt in mature ways, without tantrums. Children didn't hear about pressing financial problems, so they developed a sense of security. Certain subjects were just not discussed in front of children at all. Because it was not age-appropriate. You know, when I hear parents say, oh, we just want to be open before our children, you are a fool. There are some things your children don't need to know about you. Until they are older. It doesn't help them. The clergy was to be honored. Law enforcement was to be honored. The military was to be honored. Now, even though all of these positions were filled by mere humans, according to Scripture, they were empowered by God and they represented His will, and I was not going to have a child of mine talk bad about those that were to be respected. There was an expression, something, but it would take you half a week to catch up with yourself if you did it. Teachers were to be respected and obeyed. You would come home and you would say, guess what, I got the strap today. Not that I ever did, but if you did. It was reinforced with whatever discipline happens at the school is going to be multiplied at home. And the children were taught to respect and to obey authority. Children were taught to work for their bosses as unto the Lord. You have to go to work tomorrow, you get up, you go to bed early tonight because you're going to get up early. Parents, raise their children to know these things. You don't have to stay with the same boss, but don't be running your boss down until you have a new one. And then hopefully you won't have time. See, some people have never yet had a good boss in their lives because they've never seen the good part of it. To do whatever is needed with all of your heart. Don't go into work just trying to slough off and get through the day. If you are in there and you're getting paid, then work. And these are things that parents taught their children at home. I can remember times where my mother and my father both, Ben, smarten up now, get it done. You can play later. But you would. Why? Because this was done first. First you went ahead and you did these things. And this was something that was taught to children and because it's a godly principle again. You know the Bible says you work for your bosses the same way you do is for the Lord. 
scriptural principles. And as we raise our children with these principles, we're going to see children that end up succeeding and again up moving further ahead than all the others because these are the ones every boss is looking for. I've been a boss enough years, I know which one I was looking for. I was talking to an employer just the other day and they hired 60-some people to work and he says, oh, we'll probably thin them down to about 20 by the time we're done. Well, I want to be one of that 20 then <laughs> if I'm working there. <clears throat> now, these truths were non-negotiable because they rested firmly upon God's word. We would hear them at home. We would hear them in church. We would hear them in kids' church when we had Sunday school. And we would hear the same lessons. It wasn't like there's a different message here and a different message there. It's all the same. Now, a child that recognizes their value and is able to show respect to the bosses and to other uh, figures of authority is going to find themselves avoiding many of the things that end up people, or people end up in jail with. Nothing bothers me more than when I hear people that have got caught in trouble and the first thing they want to say, well, it wasn't my fault. Who was it? The tooth fairy came down and made you do that or what? No. Our nation was founded on God's word. It is evidenced by the scriptures that are carved in the foundation stones of the Peace Tower in Ottawa. I've been there. I've seen them. I've taken pictures of each. The scripture on the four cornerstones. However, as the word of God is being replaced with all sorts of other things, these truths are slipping away from people. And all of a sudden, it's what the latest concept is or what has come out now or some new theory or some new thing and they run that for a few years then they say, this doesn't work. We have to find something else. And if you leave it long enough, it comes back to the truth of the scripture finally. But it takes a while for people to realize that this really was the best way to go. Crime rates are rising. Drug and alcohol abuse is on the increase. More people suffer from mental stress than perhaps any other thing. All sorts of other issues are gaining more and more ground on a daily basis, and the church isn't offering the answers that is needed. Destroying property because we're happy after a sporting event. When did that ever become acceptable? Or because we didn't like a certain outcome. Let's go destroy something. I feel like burning something. Or we didn't get our own way. And these are all considered to be quasi-acceptable behaviors at this point in time. We need children to be raised in the Word of God and raised back on the standards of the Lord. Now, even though all of the different areas I mentioned had fallibilities because they were humans that were filling those positions, I know the stories there is pastors that have fallen. I know the stories there are policemen that misuse their authority. I know bosses that are probably not the best bosses. I'm aware of all these. But I also know the bulk of pastors have a heart to help people. I also know that most police officers want to uphold the law. Most of them. That doesn't mean there isn't a bad apple that slips in, but that's not all of them. And when we start talking about all of them in the same way, the only thing that happens is we're showing our own ignorance and we're building a culture where we won't be able to turn towards them when we need them. <clears throat> Instead of respecting our elders, 
They are often ridiculed and dismissed in our current culture. The clergy, the police force, the military, they all seem to get painted with the same brush because of a few bad apples that were in there. Employers are seen as pariahs instead of someone who is willing to take a risk and provide work for those that need it. Now, it's our belief that our nation needs to return back to the foundation of God's Word. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited when I see young parents making the commitment to raise their children in God's ways. I love to see, you know, people are involved in church. They're bringing their children. They say, we want to take them, we want to raise these children to be godly children. That excites me. If we can establish a solid foundation in the lives of another generation, many of the problems our society has been facing can be turned around again. See, when you put the pressure and say, no, this is what's right, things will turn. Now, we call it dedication, but in reality, it is a public parental commitment to help these children become part of the solution instead of the problem. Now, it's the parents that are making the commitment, but I'm also happy that we as a church get to be part of it. We get to help because a lot of times new parents just sit and say, we don't know where to go. What are we supposed to do? And we get to give, uh, give some advice and say, hey, why not try this? Why not try that? Give this a shot. This worked. I read a little quote the other day, and it says, when an old person dies, a library of knowledge is lost. We should be learning these things now. Because one day we'll be looking back and we'll, forgive, we'll have forgotten the things that we could have learned from our grandparents. If we don't teach the next generation, they'll die out with us. And there are so many lessons, valuable life lessons, that we can continue to train, to teach, to bring into another generation. So we pray and say, God, heal this land. He's going to be able to say, okay, I gave you the tools. Use them. So this morning, I want to call up John and Jess. We had a couple of others. One phoned in sick and said he can't make it today. <laughs> One said, well,